WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. He's the leader of the bunch. You know him well. Dan Grote. And I'm the first member of the DJ group. I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the co-host of comics podcast War Rocket Ajax. And is launching a Zoop campaign for his comic imposter syndicate, Matt D. Wilson. Welcome, Matt. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, guys. I really appreciate it, and I'm happy to be here. Our pleasure. So uh, we'll start with the first-time guest question. What are some of the first comics that you remember reading? The one I remember reading most often as a kid was the Superman annual that was part of Armageddon 2001, where he becomes president that uh famously had wave rider in it i i <laughs> looked at that wave rider page constantly as a kid i never totally got what was going on in that issue because <laughs> i didn't have any other parts of what we get in 2001 uh but i i thought the idea of superman becoming president was really cool and uh i i read and reread that book so many times i had so many just like random single issues like that <laughs> Uh, like I had an issue of Suicide Squad that had Batman in it, um, but I I was just reading it for Batman and didn't really know about the rest of the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. So it was another one where it was kind of like a mystery to me, but I would I would read it repeatedly as a kid because, you know, I, it was cool even if I didn't totally understand it. That's that's kind of the thing I think about like people who come into comics during the 90s, you know, in the 80s, you had that gym shooter. Every comic is someone's first mentality. And then yeah. somewhere in the 2000s, we got into we got kind of back into that. And they were constantly, you know, relaunching and, and you know, great new jumping on point and all that. But I, I feel like with our generation, we got the mystery. We got to go into a comic confused as shit and, and, and just sort of uh, muddled through it um for sure know, I, I, I i've told the story where like my first x-men comic was like the reveal of there were two psylocks and i'm like i didn't know there was one because she's not in the cartoon <laughs> well i think some of that is about the fact that i think yeah it we're roughly the same age i would suspect it mm-hmm. we were the last people that had newsstand comics i i remember going to the grocery store with my mom and just there on the magazine rack, there were a handful of comics, but not every title. It wasn't like going to the comic shop where, you know, you could pre-order the books you wanted. Mm -hmm. It was just Mm -hmm. a handful of Marvel books, a handful of DC books, a handful of Archie's and what they had, they had. And if you wanted to buy X-Men, it might be, part three of a six part story and you just had to grab it. Uh, and that, yeah, you got thrown into the deep end and in some ways I'm sure it discouraged some people from continuing to read. And for the rest of us, it hardened us into, (laughs) we're going to never stop. I remember my, when I was 10, nine, 10, I, you know, spend summers at my grandmother's because both my parents worked and in the morning. Yeah. 
my uncle who took care of my grandparents would walk into town to the the newsstand to buy them their uh star ledger and their new york post and i did not realize what that meant at the time but uh, <laughs> but usually if i would go with my grandmother would give me a dollar and i would pull something off the spinner rack and sometimes it became a book i continued to read um uh, i bought an issue of superman and i became a superman reader for quite a while yeah and sometimes it was something that was just like i don't know why i picked that up and i didn't get it and and sometimes it was new mutants annual seven the first part of the kings of pain crossover yeah oh boy yeah i remember buying the um like the three packs do you remember those oh yeah it, it, it was it would come in like a plastic hard shell you'd buy it at like walden books and it, it it would be a three pack of comics and you would see two of them, two of their covers. And then the one in the middle was like, you don't know what it is. Uh, and I, a friend of mine got like 20 copies of alpha flight number 100 that way. Um, but uh, I, I would buy those all the time and just kind of get whatever I got. And uh, a lot of those would be, you know, middle of a multi-part story and you're just doing it. I bought a bunch of those in the thing in the middle were collections of Sherlock Holmes newspaper strips reprinted <laughs> in comic form, which was huh. kind of cool because I dug Sherlock Holmes, but it was never like the complete mystery. Yeah. So you get the end of one mystery and the beginning of the next. And it's like, okay, if they were the adaptations of the Conan Doyles, like, okay, I know this story. And then if it was one of the original things, I'm like, what <laughs> and i never knew how they ended yeah yeah I, I could see it hitting differently that way if as if it were just like you know a random issue of i don't know cage but uh yeah you are here to talk about imposter syndicate which uh as of this recording is soon to be crowdfunding uh two issues on zoop with artist rodrigo vargas uh and now my dear co-host will read the solicit text for the listeners a down-on-his-luck actor, an impossible-to-pass-up opportunity, and a world where superheroes and supervillains are real, and also the biggest business in the world. We're talking movies, TV shows, toys, video games, even Broadway. Shadowy employers have ample reason to keep them fighting, no matter what. So what happens when a supervillain dies in the job, or just gets too old for this shit and retires? Well, somebody's got to step up and put on the mask. And actors have to work, don't they? Especially if they're slumming around doing kids' birthday parties and there are enough zeros in the check. So this will have launched Tuesday. So it'll be mm -hmm. up when this episode drops. Uh, how much of your day uh, tomorrow as we're recording do you plan to spend to give over to hitting the refresh button on your uh, browser? As little as possible. I, I have done these crowdfund comics crowdfunding things before and i have learned sort of the i don't know futility of <laughs> of uh, tr you know trying to just make it happen uh with your mind or whatever it is that you do <laughs> as you try to make the number go up um the number is going to be whatever it is whether i keep refreshing it or not i i'm way more in interested in 
letting people know that it's there in, uh, you know, contacting people to share it, asking folks to, to, you know, give it a share if they would be so inclined. Uh, I'm sure I'll look at the number numerous times over the course of 30 full days. Uh, but since this is not my first go round with one of these, I really want to try to kind of focus on the more important stuff than the day-to-day numbers. Cause again, those are going to be whatever they are, whether I'm looking at them or not. Uh, but kind of engaging with people, answering questions if people have questions, um, letting people know about the idea behind the book uh, and how long I've trying, been trying to get it made um, is kind of where I want to focus my energy more. Um, we'll see how that actually goes in practice, but uh, that's my plan. Uh, a watched a zoop doesn't boil. That's the, that's the old <laughs> expression. Yeah, that's right. So uh, it's also launching on Pi Day, which is the most most mathematical of the March holidays. Mm. Uh, why that day and not Mario Day, three eleven Day, the Ides of March, or Austin three sixteen Day? If it were the many venerable March holidays, yeah. If I had to pick one based on holiday, uh, I would have picked three sixteen Day. Uh, but that's that one's the closest to my heart. Uh, I I wanted to open a can of whoop ass on this campaign. <laughs> but uh, I think as far as like the choosing the day, um, Zoop has this system by which they kind of determine what the best day to launch is. And, and that was what they thought would be the, the best day to go. So I w- said, yeah, let's go for the ride. Cause a big part of the reason I, decided to use Zoop this time instead of some other crowdfunding platform is that they're a little more hands-on and a little more able to help on the front end and the back end of the campaign. And, you know, not to rag on Kickstarter, they've helped me make some other comics in the past, but you really are kind of on your own. Uh, with one of those campaigns, they, they collect the money, they give you, they take out their share and then they throw you what money is left. And then it's up to you. Everything after that is up to you. Uh, getting the book printed, getting the book shipped to everybody, making sure that the customer service is done uh, adequately. And uh, you know, not that that that's a lot of jobs to do and uh, having a little help this time around is definitely something I was looking for. So uh, if they say on a Tuesday is when to start, then I'll say, let's do that. <laughs> Sounds good. So uh, what is the origin of this story? You know, the campaign page says, yep. you know, this is 20 years in the making, which uh, you know, a very dramatic selling point. It is, isn't it? Uh, I, you gotta, you gotta go big with your marketing sometimes. Uh, of course. <laughs> I, I, um, but it's not a lie. It's, it's totally the truth. Um, this is a idea I had in 2003 when I was in college, I was an avid 
comics reader at the time as I am now. And uh, I happen to know, I happen to know it was exactly 2003 because that was when the last issue of the vaunted series Marvel came out oh, God. in which, in which the final issue was uh, the pitch. It was all text and it was just, Hey, we're going to launch Epic. It was Bill Jemis saying mm-hmm. we're relaunching Epic comics, which the first time around was a like graphic novel publisher that did kind of more mature content. Didn't have to do the comics code stuff. Mm-hmm. Second time around, the idea for Epic was that they were going to take pitch comics pitches from anybody. Um, it was it was we will we will accept pitches from anybody, which didn't exactly pan out. Um, I think they published like three books. How do you know how many it was? <laughs> I, I'm there was one anthology issue. Uh huh. I remember the Crimson Dynamo series. The Crimson, uh, there might have been one more. Yeah, it might be because the Crimson Dynamo, that was John Jackson Miller. Yeah. And the anthology had a Kirkman Sleepwalker. It was epic. It was the epic anthology. And I Mm -hmm. think there might have been one more, and that was it. It did. Yeah. There wasn't much. And the whole idea of we'll take pictures from from anybody didn't pan out at all. I don't think they took in, they published anything that wasn't by some kind of established creator. Um, but me, when I was 19, I thought, oh yeah, I'm going to send them my comic idea and they're going to love it. And then we're off to the races. So initially this was my Epic pitch and I wrote up a first issue. I sent it off to them and it had Spider-Man and the Gibbon in it. And uh, it, the, it it was the same idea of villains getting replaced, but it was C-list Marvel villains um, who were, you know, being approached by shadowy business people to, uh, to take over for the last guy. And, you know, they rejected it because of course they did. And because I was 19 and they didn't accept any of the pitches. Um, so after that, I reworked the book into a more satirical. The the characters are kind of like parody analog versions of the characters, along with some some new kind of original characters as two that are in the second issue. Um, but I reworked it and I developed a new idea and kind of built it out into something bigger that I could build my own world around. And by the time I had gotten that written up, I tried working with a few artists on this and it was something I was doing in my spare time. They were doing their spare time. I didn't have the money to pay them a page rate or anything like that. And so you know, time would pass. They would get another project or have something else to do and it would fall by the wayside. Then I started working on different projects, podcasting, writing books, writing other comics. And 2021 or so, I uh, a project I had been working on for a while fell through. 
and I kind of realized how long this idea had been in my head and it had just not, it never left. It was always there. And I always was like, that's a good idea. And even over time, it kind of became more relevant Mm -hmm. uh, as like, there have been more superhero movies and they've been a bigger part of pop culture. So finally I just said, okay, let's try to make this happen in some way. And I had worked with Rodrigo on some, on this for a while already, we had tried a couple of other projects that didn't get out of the blocks. And so I finally said, Rodrigo, why don't we just crowdfund this thing and try to get a couple of issues out? And he was game for it. He wants, he wanted to do it. And it it ended up being squarely 20 years after I had the idea that I tried to make, I'm trying now to make it happen. So uh, that's, that's, kind of how it all came about so, so i i did a quick scan and oh boy did we forget the big one that was the third book from the epic reboot what was it what was it trouble i knew it that was an epic book that was an epic book <laughs> you know what i i i knew that i did know yeah. that. i remember that epic logo being on there yeah the minute I, I started looking it was like oh yeah. yep I I completely forgot that it was an epic book when it was coming out, but now I remember that co- that first cover with the photo on it so vividly. <laughs> epic was only created so Bill Chemis could make his horny Aunt May comic. <laughs> you started to talk about Rodrigo, but I just want to make sure, like, how did you guys originally uh, connect? So he actually lives in Chile. So oh, wow. we, we never, I've never met him in person. He's, he's come to the U S a few times for conventions and things like that, but we've never managed to uh, meet up, but he was a listener to war rocket Ajax. Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, uh, it must've been 2015. Uh, he emailed me kind of just out of the blue and said, Hey, I'm an artist. I'm trying to get my stuff out there. I I want to, you know, do more art. And at the time we were as a Patreon reward, we did these quarterly kind of art pinups mm-hmm. that would just be for patrons. And so I think he was kind of asking like, would you want me to do a pinup or would you want me to design a t-shirt for you guys? And I said, Hey, how about we work on a comic together? And that's how we ended up doing uh, the graphic novel, Everything Will Be Okay. Uh, that was the first thing we worked on together, uh, which we kickstarted. And I think it finally got out. The indie version got out in 2018 and then Caliber picked it up and published it in 2020. And uh, yeah, we've worked on other stuff since then. He He did a sketchbook of all Spider-Man stuff and, I'm a huge Spider-Man guy, so he asked me for specific moments to draw in this in the sketchbook that were kind of like pivotal Spider-Man moments, and I wrote little captions for his art for that. Uh, and we we have worked on a a uh, middle grade graphic novel together that hopefully can get out there sometime. Uh, but then, you know, this project was one. He he was really interested in doing too, and 
I've always just been like blown away by his art and for someone that lives in another, you know, hemisphere, he and I have really similar sensibilities as far as like humor goes and, and like he gets, he really gets the satire of this book. Like he, I've gotten pages back where the, there are jokes that I didn't even write in the script that are just new that he just added that are really great. And uh, yeah, it's, it was, I don't know, serendipity that he just emailed me out of the blue that one time because I was blown away by his art then and he's only gotten better since. So I'm very lucky to be able to work with him on, on several different projects. I hope people pay more attention to him after this. I hope this project is successful. Just number one tip top reason. So Rodrigo can get more attention because I think he's so, so good. Excellent. So this one is about an actor who winds up playing a supervillain. Mm-hmm. You've also written several books in the voice of a supervillain, King Oblivion, yep. PhD. Uh, what is the thing that you like about writing through the bad guy lens? It's a few different things. I I think, that, well, for King Oblivion, PhD, it's it was always about the sort of like bombastic ego of it all. Mm-hmm. And the sort of like lack of self-awareness and the humor that comes from that. Uh, Cause, cause I think if supervillains were self-aware, they wouldn't do things the way they do them or continue to be supervillains because, you know, they're way more effective methods of ruining the world (laughs) and the way that they're (laughs) doing them. Um, but I think it's all about like what I said all the time in the, the King Oblivion books and something that's inherent to imposter syndicate is to be a supervillain. There is an inherent theatricality to, to everything they do because they have to be entertaining in a comic book. They have to be entertaining. Uh, they have to be colorful. They have to give big speeches. They have to have really wildly overcomplicated plans. Uh, and th- those are all kind of concrete elements of a supervillain. And they also kind of have to be interesting is the wrong word. Cause there are lots of interesting heroes, but they have to be, uh, colorful and weird in a way that heroes are often not um, to, to stay interesting, to be a counterpoint to the hero, to give the hero to something to play off of um, like superheroes. I think, uh, you know, there's another thing I said in the the book sometimes it's really super villains who are the, the proactive ones. They, they're the catalysts that make things happen and superheroes are, kind of reactive and so uh it's it's interesting to get into the, that mindset just because of you know kind of how unaware of the how they look they are so we did get a few questions in through twitter we'll go through some of those uh first off asimov fangirl writes hello really excited for the project very nice of you to say uh she asks how difficult is it to come up with new uh 
theme or gimmicky villains when superhero comics have been around for decades and decades. And a lot of those names may have already been taken. Yeah. The names are the hardest part. Uh, the, the, the characters are, you know, they're all archetypes that you're not reinventing the wheel there, especially if you're doing satire, you know, the, the, a lot of them are just refinements or, or escalations or, or you're just turning up the volume on a type of character that already exists. Mm-hmm. And so there being so many characters already is sort of a blessing and a curse in that sense, because there's a lot to play off of. There's a lot of tropes and archetypes to satirize or to find a twist on or to do something a little different with. Uh, but names are horrid because, <laughs> because, you know, you come up with a name, you think you, you, it's original and then you go on the Marvel database or the DC database and mm-hmm. they appeared in one issue in 1973. And so you, you can't use that one. Um, I think I've done an okay job of the characters so far, like giving them all different, all new names, but, uh, like I said, archetypes are fun to play with. Like I've always been fascinated by the idea of characters with luck powers. Mm. And uh, I, I've always thought luck powers were just a weird thing for superheroes to have. And so uh, her her powers aren't actually explained in the second issue. They'll, they'll get a full explanation in a later issue. But there's a character in issue two whose name is Fortune's Favor who um, you'll just readers will discover later is a failed superhero. And uh, the reason she failed is because she had luck powers. And so anytime she tried to stop crime or like go out and patrol uh, crime never happened around her because she was really lucky. So she would be like running from one end of town to the other, trying to find crimes to stop. And wherever she happened to be was where crime was not happening because she had good luck, which turned out to be bad luck for her. Uh, so, so stuff like that. It's like you can take a thing that exists and give it a twist, find some way to make it funny or different. And, you know, that's a new character. Uh, the names, though, woof, you got to do so much research. And then her second question was, uh, she just generally asked favorite supervillains. Uh, Dr. Doom is my old timer. Mm. Uh, I mean, King Oblivion PhD was a very thinly veiled <laughs> Dr. Doom. Because <laughs> uh, cause Dr. Doom can be anything, right? And he can appear in any kind of story. He can be the the, the top most powerful villain in secret wars, or he can be the guy Luke Cage goes after for owing him money. Uh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, he, he just fits. He fits into lots of different kinds of stories. You can explain anything away with doom bots because that's like the catch all. It wasn't really Dr. Doom thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. He's, he's always going to be uh, my favorite. I mean, I like the big cosmic guys. Uh, I, I'm a big dark side uh, fan and always have been. Uh, 
Uh, but I, I like the kind of low-level third stringers too. Like, like I said, the the villain in this book, who is now named the Bonobo, uh, was originally the Gibbon. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's an issue of Spectacular Spider-Man from the late '90s, written by J.M. DeMatteis, uh, about the Legion of Losers. Uh, I encourage anyone to go find that uh, that one issue story where it's the Gibbon, the Grizzly, White Rabbit, Spot. Mm-hmm. I want to say Frogman is in there too, uh, but I don't remember. I don't remember all the members exactly, but I remember a lot of them. And I I just I love it when the third stringers get together. I mean, that, that idea was explored again in uh, superior foes of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. which I think is a great uh, little short lived series. Uh, so I, I, you know, I love the, the big heavy hitters and I love the, the kind of bottom rung guys too. Uh, they're all great. <laughs> uh, the, the nineties X-Men fan in me had to answer apocalypse and Mr. Sinister. Yeah, uh, because they kind of especially because, you know, they survived the 80s to become these sort of rule of cool villains in the 90s where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, they showed up. So this story is, is you know, I have to pay attention to this one. This one's important. It's like when uh, Crycheck shows up on the X-Files, <laughs> they're furthering yeah. the conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think Magneto fit that bill at one time mm-hmm. um, and then he started switching sides all the time. I not that I don't like it when supervillains switch sides or kind of ride the fence between hero and villain. Um, but I, I do like it. I do like that villain who is like, yeah, I'm a bad guy and I'm going to stick to that. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's I, I like it when they know who they are. Yeah. Then, then that would make my number one, that guy. Cause that's the Joker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Joker is unrepentantly, villainous and is also another character who bends to fit any story just like batman does for sure and i have versions of the joker i prefer to others i prefer a joker who is kind of funny the the purely chaotic violent monster joker who isn't you know making a joke or doing a bit isn't as interesting to me because he's the Joker is the ultimate showman of the supervillain set. And so he needs to be pulling something. Because if it's just, you know, walking into a mall and shooting people arbitrarily, unless it's that one Gotham Central story where he's sniping <laughs> people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's part of a bit. Because yeah. that's when you get to the end. And there's that just absolutely terrifying. If they loved them, they would have done the shopping sooner moment that is like oh okay so just the sniper rifle is part of the bit yeah Um, well it's the joker is i i feel unique among all supervillains because he's one of the few that doesn't care if he loses or or doesn't think about success and failure in the way that so many others do Um, like one thing i talk about all the time with supervillains is like and the whole thing about self-awareness is if they realized that they were always destined to fail and kind of looked at their win loss records, <laughs> they'd maybe say, 
it's time to pack it in. Uh, <laughs> why do we keep trying? But uh, the Joker with the Joker, it's it's if he loses, it's not really a loss for him. Uh, so, yeah, he's interesting in that way. My favorite Batman villain is and always will be the Riddler, who's like the opposite. Cause he just, he just wants to prove he's smarter than Batman. I mean, they're different versions of the Riddler where he's like got different ends. But to me, the quintessential Riddler is the one who wants to outsmart Batman. And so it, in some ways he's like the anti Joker in that way. Cause, cause he's always got to win. Um, and that's always been, what's been interesting about to me about the Riddler. Yeah. Thing, but my other two the other two who come to mind as villains who i gravitate towards are much more in the ends justify the means they think they're doing the right thing and instilling order which is so completely opposite to the joker Mm -hmm. uh amanda waller yeah and uh, the grand admiral thrawn from star wars who are both these paragons of order for whatever the the ends of the universe or the world being in order justify whatever means that they will go through to get there and that's what makes them fascinating frankly with the wall but any of the ostrander suicide squad stalwarts his version of boomerang his version of deadshot his version of bronze tiger is far more actually more of an anti-hero than a villain but that and then Deadshot spinning into Gail Simone's Secret Six. Just that evolution of that character over those runs is just top notch. Yeah, for sure. And and complicated and layered in a way that a lot of characters like that are not. Like I, you know, I talked about the people who jump the fence. Like Amanda Waller will be the hero and villain in the same moment, uh, depending on who she's talking to or, or the context of the story. And uh, like, I talked about having that suicide squad comic when I was a kid, I remember reading it and just be like, who are the bad guys here? Because it's all contextual. Uh, so yeah, that it's great stuff. I, those suicides, those Ostrander suicide squad comics are some of the best. I, yeah, I'm an unabashed Ostrander like long time stan all of yeah. it that that specter hawk world grim jack his star wars stuff i just he's never written a comic that hasn't at least been interesting if not a deep thinker yeah for sure so your your primate theme supervillain is the bonobo which uh-huh. uh a fantastic name now Monkeys and or primates in comics in general have a have a storied history. You know, we've had apes, gorillas, mandrills, monkeys, chimps, etc. Uh, how many species did you have to cycle through before you settled on the bonobo? After the gibbon, of course. Uh, I I I landed on bonobo pretty quick. I I I, I do think in the rewriting to unmarvelize the story, I. <laughs> Uh, the, the name was one of the last things I decided on, but once I decided, I said, okay, I got to change the name. Um, Bonobo is like one of those things where I was just like, that's it. 
and uh and I looked it up and made sure there wasn't one and went from there. Uh I think it it's got a good sound to it. It's got like almost like uh internal alliteration which is great. Mm-hmm. And uh it's also a, a slight inside joke. Uh I uh have always been a fan for a long time of uh the uh the podcast you talk and you too to me <laughs> yes with uh scott ackerman and adam scott yep and one of their running joke i actually sent them a U2 comic book that i found at a comic book shop and they talked about it on the show that that oh, i wow. sent it to them uh but one of the running jokes of that show is they will mispronounce the uh names of the members of the band and so when they say Bono, they say Bonobos. <laughs> and uh, and I just thought, okay, he's the Bonobo. Because uh, it, it's funny to me every time. It, I don't care if it's funny to anybody else. And it probably isn't, but it's funny to me. That's what matters, really. Yeah, yeah. Now, now in the process of crafting this story, have you thought about a strategic partnership with the menswear line Bonobos that advertise on podcasts? <laughs> Uh, well, I'll say what Chris and I say all the time on War Rocket Ajax, which is the phrase, not a sponsor, but could be. <laughs> got to manifest that. Got to put it out there. <laughs> The emails are open. Uh, <laughs> hit me up. I could, I could make the bonobo, John, wear a very comfortable pair of socks in an issue, in a later issue. <laughs> uh it's that that's that that's guerrilla marketing right there <laughs> uh and, and we're gonna we're gonna let those hits keep on coming because uh we we informed matt that this was gonna happen uh in pre-show but we'd like to play a little comics primate trivia at this point matt are you ready are you feeling confident I, I'm I'm running through every comics monkey I know uh, in my head right now. Um, I I would like to say that I'm confident, but I can't imagine a scenario where I get all of these wrong. So, <laughs> I but I'm willing to do. I it's fine either way. Let's go. I mean, listen, it's ten questions plus a bonus. The points count toward absolutely nothing. You know. <laughs> We're all we're all just having fun here. <laughs> this is pride. This is pride for me. I'm I'm a trivia guy. I want to do. Okay, I want to okay. do well. All right. Well, let's 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 get started then. Uh, my dear co-host, whose name I'm not saying for disambiguation purposes, because this is our second Mac guest in a row. <laughs> uh, there's Mac a lot Kenna. of us. Yeah, we have Mac. We're Kenna everywhere. Week, so <laughs> yeah. But my esteemed co-host, would you like to trade off asking the questions with me? Absolutely. Okay, I'll start with number one. One of the Flash's best-known villains is the psychic gorilla Grodd. Who is Grodd's more heroic counterpart and the sometimes ruler of Gorilla City? I the name is on the tip of my tongue, and I've I'm not getting it out. I'm gonna have to go with a pass on that one, but I I'm sure as soon as you say it, I'll know it. Uh, the answer was Solovar. Solovar, yes. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, number two, this Marvel monkey in a suit got his own animated series on Hulu. But honestly, before I looked it up, I thought it was one of the ones that got canceled. 
Uh, oh, it's I I know the show. Uh, in my head, it's like profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just swap the species name for what he is. It's like I ah. In my head, it's like Iron Monkey or something like that, but I know that's wrong. You're right with the that's second right. word. Yeah. And he is a... Hit Monkey. It's yes! Hit Monkey. Yeah. Hit Monkey. <laughs> All right. One point on the board. Okay. All right. Question the third. Why the Last Man got one season on Hulu before it was canceled, which is the most success Brian K. Vaughn has had seeing his works adapted. What species is Yurik's monkey companion ampersand? Is it a? I read that whole book. Uh, is it a capuchin? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, correct. Sir. Two for three. Okay. Superman is supposed to be the last survivor of Krypton, but for some reason he seems to have had an arc's worth of pets stow away with him in that little rocket ship. What was the name of the monkey? I know the dog and the cat. I know Crypto and I know Streaky. The monkey's name was Chris would be furious at me for not knowing the monkey's name, (laughs) (laughs) but I cannot, I I'm, I'm going to pass on that one. Beppo. Beppo. My silver age Superman fails me. (laughs) Kurt Swan is rolling over in his, no, not really. Uh, this reformed villainess was a member of Mark Runewald's Squadron Supreme and was deeply in love with teammate Tom Thumb. Is it Power Princess? No. No. Okay. Who was it? Oh, uh, her name was Ape X. Ape X. Oh, right. Of course. She had to be a monkey. Yeah. This DC Comics cult fave was voiced by actor Kevin Michael Richardson on the animated series Batman the Brave and the Bold. I That was the one Batman cartoon I did not like regularly watch. Uh, we'll, we'll throw one more. This supernatural cult fave. We'll give you one more. Oh, oh, Detective Chimp? Yes. Bingo! Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Kevin Michael and, and by the way, Brave and the Bold, second best animated Batman show after I, the animated I, series. <laughs> Yeah, I I know it's great. I've seen a handful of episodes. I just it, it hit at the time where I was like, I never had time to watch it. But I I should go back and I should go back and just watch it on HBO Max because it's it's all there, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's worth <laughs> hard, your hard time. to tell. HBO Max has gotten rid of a lot of stuff, a <laughs> lot of animated stuff specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but we managed to get another Aqua Teen Hunger Force movie, so I got to sit down and watch that at some point. And the Venture <laughs> Brothers is coming. All right, what was uh, next question? Okay, here, number seven. Three different characters in Marvel Comics have used the code name Gorilla Man. Mm. Name one. Well, there's the uh, there's the Agents of Atlas Gorilla Man. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember his actual name. When you say it, I will remember it. But I can't remember his actual real name. Is that an official pass then? Yeah, I think so. Okay, all right. So I, I would have to sit and think about it for a while. <laughs> uh, Ken Hale was the Agent of Atlas Gorilla Man. Yeah. Then there was Arthur Nagin, the guy, the man, the guy who had a man's head and a gorilla's body. Okay. 
And the third, the third one was named Franz Rodzik. Okay. I'm not familiar. Gorilla Man just came. I th- Ken Hale, Gorilla Man, just mm-hmm. came back in Avengers. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they said his name. I, I, <laughs> I remember I, I remember him so well from Agents of Atlas, but the the actual his actual name just escaped me. Mm-hmm. Lawson Clark, Harley and Ivy, Ollie and Dinah. None of them hold a candle to Monsieur Mala and his partner, who is. This is another one I know, and it's on the tip of my tongue, and I, I'm just not quite getting there. Well, yeah. He he doesn't spend his time hanging out with a goofy white rat. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you know, Narf. Uh oh, it's the brain. Yeah. There the we brain. go. Mis- yes. Monsieur Milan brain. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I've okay. yet to be able to properly do the the parody version of Pinky and the Brain theme song with Mala and the Brain. I've been working on it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a bit we're having to get out in the world at some point. Wait, uh, we, <laughs> we're allegedly doing a musical episode sometime <laughs> this year. So. Ah, <laughs> uh, boy. Okay, this one uh, is is Taylor engineered for you, Matt. Uh, okay. In two thousand eight slash nine's Marvel Apes. This Sibian character from Earth 616 visits a universe in which the world is populated by primate versions of Marvel superheroes and villains, a planet of the apes, if you will. Is it one of the ones I've named on the show already? It was the very first one you named on the show. It's is is it Gibbon? It's the Gibbon, yes. Okay. Yeah. I I I I always doubt myself for all that kind of stuff. I was like it's a red ghost. <laughs> and he's super apes. Yeah. Fine. Uh, the final, the main round here is this not really an X Men character with a mutant power to control women through pheromones would have been given amnesty to live on Krakoa, but I have to imagine something like Emma Frost would have just killed him and left him somewhere down in the resurrection queue with every single person who died on Genosha. Name this monkey villain. Monkey mutant mm. villain. Monkey mutant villain. Yeah. I mean, He's got uh, another one that I will remember as soon as you say it, but you're going to have to tell me. All right. It's, it's the mandrill. The mandrill. Yes. Yeah. He was he a cape. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I think he's appeared in like non X, some non X-Men comics. Most. Yeah. He, he was like a defenders yeah. villain for a while there. In like yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I remember him showing up in the '90s in some places, but I, I the mandrill he never did much for me. Uh, uh, but yeah, okay, yeah, cool. All right, so that's that. That's the main round. Bonus question, not comics related. All right, which game in the Donkey Kong franchise gave us one of the greatest songs of all time, the DK rap? I want to say that's in the first Donkey Kong Country, or is it Donkey Kong Country Two? Is it Donkey Kong Country Three? <laughs> Which one is it? Are, are, are we are we giving hold up? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, I, okay, I know, I know, okay. I know, I know. I remember it now. It's Donkey Kong sixty four. There we go. We yes, got yes, it. Yes, yes. All right, correct, sir. <laughs> Five and the bonus. <laughs> it took me four guesses to remember that the DK rap is in Donkey Kong sixty four, but I got there. <laughs> but you did get there. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You've you've won your pride, sir. Okay, good. I I not not anywhere near perfect, but I did 
completely embarrassed myself. So I will take it. So uh, back to Imposter Syndicate. Uh, how far along is the story in terms of, of production at this point? Well, I wish I could say that the two issues were completely finished and all we had to do was print them and ship them out. But I'm a writer and I want to make sure that Rodrigo and the colorist we're working with get paid a fair page rate for the work. And that is the reason for the Zoop campaign. Um, it, you know, if it was just printing, I, I would still need some cash for that, but I wouldn't be asking for what I'm asking for on the Zoop. But people may notice that the goal on the Zoop is perhaps a little higher than others, but that's because a lot of these campaigns are various levels of complete uh, when they go up. And, uh, you know, some are books that have been published before that are just getting collected and shipped. Some are writers slash artists who do all the work and then do the campaign. Um, I'm just a writer. I do not have anywhere close to the artistic talent of Rodrigo. And uh, I would never want to ask him to do that kind of work without getting fair page rates. So I, you know, he's done a number of pages so far in the first issue, but I'd say we're about, about a quarter of the pages are done. So about three quarters are left to be drawn, colored and lettered. Um, and so it'll be, you know, a process once the campaign is complete to, for Rodrigo and our colorist to do all of that additional work and then we'll print and ship, which will be a matter of a few months. Um, mm. and I want to be upfront and honest about that. It's, I don't want to promise anything that we can't deliver. And I don't want to um, give people a false impression of anything about how complete it is or, or any of that. But I can also say with complete assurance that, you know, it will be finished and we will get the books out there because we've done this before. Uh, Rodrigo is great and knocks out those amazing looking pages in amazing time. And uh, everything is scripted. So my part in the process is is good to go. Um, but we, I really, really want to make sure that, that Rodrigo gets paid fairly. And so uh, once we finish the campaign and we know that that money's going to go in, in his pocket for his work, um, the rest of the book will, will be done. That's the honest answer. Right on. <laughs> So, you know, we've talked about sort of the long tail of this project, you know, the 20-year story. But, you know, what what is another way that uh, Imposter Syndicate is different from some of the other comics and books and projects that you've worked on? Well, it's the first superhero thing as a comic that I've really done. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, thematically and, and kind of in terms of the humor satire of it all, it's it's of a piece with the King Oblivion books that I wrote, the Supervillain Handbook, Supervillain Field Manual, and Supreme Villainy. 
Um, but it's a very different approach and it's more of a satire of, I guess, superhero culture than superhero and supervillain tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of a mix of a, you know, a universe where superheroes really exist and are active and stop crimes and superheroes and supervillains fight each other. And it's also a look at, you know, our own culture where superheroes have become so much of what popular culture is. And so it is, yeah, instead of just saying like, hey, isn't it funny that supervillains all always do these things or wear these certain kinds of costumes or follow these particular tropes, which was what a lot of the supervillain handbook was. It's more, you know, what would happen if superheroes become became a big money-making operation and people realized there was money to be made off of them. Um, so it's, it is, it is thematically similar to those books, but also different. And like, I, I'm not going to lie and say that I've never had like a Batman and Spider-Man pitch in my back pocket. Cause I do all the time uh, and, and, and are, are ready to go with those at a moment's notice. But uh, this is the like superhero story I've always wanted to tell in comics and so it, it's different from those projects in that way. Um, but it also is like everything will be okay. was not a superhero book. It was a um, disaster comic for lack of a better way of ter- putting it. And it was essentially a way for me to ex- explore my own fears. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my, my catastrophizing about everything and just say, what if it all happened? Uh, and this is, this book is also a way for me to kind of explore my fears, uh, about how creative work can go wrong. And, uh, in the first issue, the lead character who becomes the bonobo, John signs a contract thinking it's going to be great. He, he gets, you know, the offer of a lifetime and he signs a contract and then, unintended consequences of that contract he signed come to light over the rest of the series. And that's a fear I've always had of signing, you know, somebody shoving that contract in front of me and I sign it, not really even reading it. And it ends up to being a nightmare. Um, So I'm exploring that too, you know, that sort of like creative fear that a lot of, I think a lot of people have if they try to do any kind of creative work. I hope that answered your question yeah. adequately. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there were words, the words made sentences, the sentences made sense. That's <laughs> all that matters. But, you know, you, you've you been doing a lot of interviews for this project, uh, you know, before the campaign's even launched. What what has it been like sort of being on the other end of the Yeti microphone for this, the, uh, the business end, if you will? I guess it's interesting to to see what people want to know about a creative project and like everybody has different i mean some of the questions are are similar just because it's like what's the book about (laughs) 
Of course, of course, that's what you want to, anybody would want to know. Um, but it's interesting to know what people, like what specific things people want to know about or what they hone in on a, in on a project. Um, like the, the influences, like not everybody's interested in that. Um, you know, you guys clearly are cause you've got such a history of, of reading comics for so long and, and knowing so much about, uh, comics from years and years of reading, um, some people want to know about the, like, uh, the kind of business part of it. Um, like I, you know, so, you know, I've been asked, are you going to take any pay out of the zoo? And that, that's not even a question I thought I would ever get, uh, partially cause it's not really a question for me. If if there's profit from this zoop, it's not going to go in my pocket. It's going to go to issue three, <laughs> because I want to make sure I want to keep making comics. I I'm not doing this for money. I'm not doing this. You know, if I wanted to make money, there's so many other ways I could do that. And uh, you you know, so it, that's not a question I would ever ask about mm-hmm. the kind of business end of it. Um, but I, I can also totally understand why someone would be interested in that and, you know, want to know about that aspect of it because crowdfunding puts the business part of it out there for everybody to, to see. Yeah. Um, you know, for me as an interviewer, my, I'm always most interested in as because I'm, you know, interviewing people and doing creative work myself. I always want to know about creative process stuff. I want to know about how the collaboration worked and, you know, not just the genesis of of the idea, but kind of the getting your arms up to the elbows in there and, and like how the sausage got made. And, uh, and so I, you know, I'm always, what's interesting being on the other side of it for me is, seeing what different folks are interested in and what different folks want to know about as far as the different aspects of a project, because I know what I would ask. Um, and I, it's easy to assume that that's what anybody else would ask, but other people have totally different things that they're interested in and that take me by surprise. Uh, but I also think I'm like, it's cool that you want to know that. So that's, that's kind of been my takeaway. So, you know, you have a podcast, so you, you know, you've got a platform there and and you're doing interviews and such, but, but all the same, you know, you're promoting this campaign at a time when social media has become sort of diffuse and, and harder to mm-hmm. navigate. Yeah. How does that kind of factor into things for you? It's something I've thought about a lot and there was a time not that long ago, you know, the last time I was running a Kickstarter, um, I essentially did all my promotion either on my podcast or on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, now Twitter, I mean, it's still there, but it's, it's a whole different place with a whole different feel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I can't just go there to, you know, and post a link every day and expect 
the kind of reaction I got in the past, either because there's an algorithm now that not everybody sees my tweet right away who's following me. And uh, it's, it's just a whole different ecosystem. So I've, I've been doing a lot more podcast interviews. It's you guys have been kind enough to let me come on and, and other shows have, and I'm deeply appreciative of that. And uh, I've, been more active on Mastodon. I'm going to try to get more out there on Mastodon. I will hold my nose and post to Facebook. Uh, <laughs> I I will put stuff on Instagram, even though my Instagram is, you know, it's mostly just, you know, local friends that I know uh, largely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even put together some, some emails to, uh, friends and, and other people who I, that's the way I know I can get in touch with them. Uh, cause I don't, I can't be assured that everybody's going to see stuff on Twitter anymore. So I'm trying to find all those different avenues to, to reach out and ask people to share in their specific ways. Cause wh- what a comeback for the newsletter in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's sub stacks and stuff like that, um, that, you know, I would be very lucky and happy f- for people to share uh, the campaign there if they would. So it's just going to be a matter of saying like, Hey, if, could you share this? And if people do, I, I'll be really grateful. So uh, after all these years of podcasting, uh, how how do you and Chris keep the spice in your relationship? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I sometimes I don't know how it is for you guys. Uh, it it becomes a it can become a job. Um, so sometimes it's the the weekly recording time rolls around, and it's kind of okay. We gotta we gotta do it, and we just we kind of put on our performance faces and do the show. Um, but it, we're really friends and that helps a bunch. And we have been friends for a long time. We, we come up with new jokes that make each other laugh, uh, new silly bits, stuff that gets way overcomplicated that someone listening to an episode for the first time are, is going to say, what is this? Um, but they're the kind of things that, you know, keep us laughing uh, and keep us wanting to do the show. We come up with new segments. Uh, we just started a new segment this year uh, called Thursday Night Raw, where we're ranking the rawest moments in comics, uh, which people are still figuring out what raw means. And we kind of are, <laughs> too. Uh, but it's 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 a lot. Of, it's a lot of kind of just finding a new thing to do, you know, mm. reading Mark Grunewald, Captain America comics, uh, which we've been doing for a while. That's always a good decision. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> We're almost to the end of the run. It's very exciting. Uh, yeah. Finding a new ranking bit to do. Um, reading new material that we can just, you know, shoot the shit about. Uh, it's, uh, 
again, I, I'm not going to lie about anything and say that it's always easy to keep, keep a long running thing going all the time and keep, keep it coming out every week or sometimes twice a week. If we're doing a bonus episode of some kind, mm-hmm. um, but on the other hand, we're still doing it. I think if we, if we really came to find it to be a dull experience or just a job, uh, you know, I don't think we would do it anymore. Cause just like making comics, you know, there's so many better ways to make money. Uh, you gotta be in these things for the love of the game, uh, in a lot of ways. And we still do. We still have a fun time when we record the show, even if we, you know, come into the show saying like, I don't want to do this this week. By the time we're doing it, we're like actually in it recording. We end up having fun. Uh, so that I, I wish I had a secret to tell you <laughs> as far as how to keep it fun, but it's other than finding new stuff to do and coming up with new inside jokes. I, I don't really know. It, it, listen, the best way out is through and that, and that's, yeah. that's how you do. Yeah. Uh, on a somewhat similar note, both working in comics and podcasting in comics, mm-hmm. how has, how have you been able to keep yourself feeling like a fan and enjoying it versus it being a grind? being what you have to do because this is what you do. Yeah. It, it has definitely become a thing over the years. Cause I, you know, I've been reading comics as some kind of job since 2010 at a minimum, probably before that 2008 or 2009, and because I, I used to write for Comics Alliance and I would review stuff over there all the time. Or, you know, I would write about all this, my favorite Spider-Man artists or how DC has had a house style in 2012 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can become, you know, you just read the stuff you have to. And that that was me for a while and people who listen to ajax will know like the late 2010s there's so many good comics i missed and just wasn't able to read because i was reading stuff for the show a lot of which i did not like and but it was entertaining for us to talk about it on the show and so we would read those those books um i do think i've come out of that slump a little bit and a handful of creators at both Marvel and DC have done a lot to help get me out of that or not just Marvel and DC, you know, mm-hmm. indie books too. Uh, like I'll read a Kyle Starks book, no matter who publishes it. I mean, Kyle's a friend too, but whoever publishes a Kyle Starks book, I'm there day <laughs> one immediately. I'm reading it. Um, fuck. This place is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never call it. I hate this place. It's fuck this place. <laughs> you, you know, the like Jed, Mc, we, we got introduced to Jed McKay's comics last year, mm-hmm. which I had not been reading. And I've since 
kind of gone through all of it, like Death of Doctor Strange, the follow-up Strange book, mm-hmm. uh, his Black Cat run, Moon Knight, um, I, and he's going to take over Avengers. Yep, uh, next too. Uh, like Jed McKay is so good and has kind of like reinvigorated my love of uh, those kind of solo Marvel books. Um, like I've always liked Jason Aaron and liked his Avengers stuff and, and, and read it, but um, the solo, some of the solo Marvel stuff I kind of got burned out on for a while. Uh, but the Zeb Wells on amazing Spider-Man I have dug uh, mm-hmm. a lot since he came on the book and um, over at DC seeing the return and kind of reinvigoration of Mark Wade on uh uh world's finest and and the kind of stuff that's branched out of that has made me re- really excited about some of the stuff that's going on at DC lately so i i can admit it became a grind for a while to to say you know we got to review three books this week let me read three uh that I know will be interesting to talk about because the problem with just reading comics that are pretty good, nothing to say about them. If a comic's just pretty good, you can just say it was pretty good. And that's it. It either has to be bad or exceptional (laughs) to really have Mm -hmm. a lot of things to say about it. Um, But luckily I've read, I've, come across a lot of exceptionally good comics in the last couple of years that have sort of brought me out of the rut. So my dear co-host, I want to throw your question back at you as, as a person who recently undertook rereading Batman eternal uh, on top of, of (laughs) everything else. (laughs) Uh the only way out is through. Yeah. Yeah. That was a family okay, feud. Good answer. Good answer. That was a, okay. This is three episodes of the show. Once I get through these 52 issues this time, I don't have to read this thing again. And not that it was that bad in the long run, but it's just cramming 52 issues that came out weekly into three weeks is a lot. And not as, interesting as reading three very different much more curated stories a week that play off each other in interesting ways this was okay my co-host really wants to do this story and the i'm I'm not clearly reading 52 issues in one week i would i wouldn't make it (laughs) so this is what we have to do and the only way out was okay just break it up into the three chunks that it was traded in and do it. So, so Matt, for background, uh, my dear co-host also co-hosts a Batman uh, reading and ranking podcast. And so for their yeah. big 75th episode, they decided to do three 75th episodes breaking up Eternal mm-hmm. into chunks. I, I think that was the best call you could have made. Uh, all that at once would have been... It it could have ended the show, uh, so good for you. Yeah, no, it was the and my co-host has been wanting to do Eternal since like episode three. 
Uh And it's taken me the longest time to figure out the way to do it (laughs) that would not break break me. Because God bless him, my my co-host Will for that show does the one podcast a week. Uh Uh-huh. And doesn't, you know, he he does his other stuff, but that's all he does. I've got that show, this show, writing, editing, various interpersonal relationships that take up time. It's like yeah. there's only so many hours in the week. It's 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 so true. Uh the time is working against you. When you have a weekly podcast, time is your worst enemy. Because, you know, with Ajax, I, I'll I'll be doing my day job on Thursday, and it's coming toward the end of the day, and I'll look at the clock, and it'll be four thirty, and we have to record at nine thirty, and I'll have this panic moment where I go, "Oh shit, I haven't read a comic yet this week," because. I was busy yesterday and I've been busy today and time will not bend for me. I have to, I have to read three comics to talk about on the show. Um, it's, it's just how it goes. So, uh, you know, it, just to make it clear for the listeners before we move on, we all love what we do. You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> uh, no, like anything else. Show. It's just hard sometimes. Yep. I love this show. I love that chat. I love Will. But there, there are times where it's like, okay, I've got to remember to balance these episodes better so that it's, you know, not 25 comics this week to get in those three Batman stories. It's like, no, no. I, I got a piece of advice when I was like 20-ish. Because, uh, you know, the old cliche is do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life, mm-hmm. which is a lie bullshit yeah it the the truth is if you make your hobby your job then your hobby is now your is now a job and that that's not entirely a bad thing but the downsides of any job have now been applied to your hobby and you have to figure out a way to manage that and still enjoy it or what you've done is ruin your hobby. Uh, and so it, that's anybody listening to this who is like, I'm going to make my hobby, my job, whatever it may be. You got to find a way to not make it tedious for yourself. Once it becomes a job, it's, it's, it seems, it always seems like, you know, if you're a movie critic, if you're, uh, if you if you love surfing and you become a professional surfer, uh, it's it the dynamic changes as soon as it becomes a profession mm-hmm. of any kind, um, whether you're it's lucrative or not, uh, and so I I was happy to have gotten that advice because I was able to anticipate it and figure out ways to work through some of the times where I didn't know if I loved it anymore. Um, Because when you come through, if, if the only way out is through, 
when you do come through and make it out, um, you can find your love for it again, but it's, it doesn't feel like it when you're going through it. So I'm going to throw a curveball on the penultimate question here. Uh, what is another Matt? Who is another Matt Wilson that you've been confused with other than the colorist? I don't think I've ever been confused with any Matt Wilson that isn't the colorist. Okay. Uh, well, no, that's not, that's not true. You're right. I have been confused <laughs> for another Matt Wilson. Uh, I just have to go back a ways. Um, I, there are lots of other Matt Wilsons uh, out there who are notable for different things. Um, there's a jazz drummer. So he's the one who I've seen my name on a magazine cover about, okay. which it was like a drumming magazine. And it was like, <laughs> is Matt Wilson really the best there is? And there's this guy in a hat with drumsticks <laughs> on the cover. Uh, there's the guy who owned MattWilson.com, or at least he used to um was a firearms enthusiast i don't but i haven't been confused for him um matt wilson the colorist is definitely the one i've been confused for for the most um i get tagged in so many tweets for he comics he has colored and uh people are like oh amazing job uh brian k vaughn and cliff chang and the matt d wilson <laughs> on paper girls and i have to be like that's not me redo this tweet different guy uh but you know i've got i've got a check mark and people don't know that my middle initial is different from his and that's what that is uh but the other matt wilson that i have been confused for was um in middle and high school there was another matt wilson in my graduating class uh and I think when I was in sixth grade, because we didn't go to elementary school together, mm-hmm. but then I got to middle school and we were now in the same school. And I think it was in sixth grade. Um, there was an announcement that said, Matt Wilson, please come to the principal's office. Uh-oh. And I said, I, I didn't do anything. So I go to the principal's office and I say, I'm here. What do you want me for and they like shuffled through some papers and stuff and said oh not you a different a different one (laughs) and uh and so that from that point on it became a battle for who was going to go by their middle name and i won uh (laughs) so he started going by his middle name uh and and i got to stay matt uh so that one i won uh i think of the battle with colorist Matthew Wilson, I am losing and have been losing for years. Uh, <laughs> but he's a, he's an extremely nice guy, so I can't even be mad at him. That's the really terrible part. He's so nice. I've met him at conventions. He's <laughs> he's really nice. It's like Uma Oprah, but we're both Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Well, uh, Matt, this has been a fantastic time. Final question uh, as we release you back into the world. Uh, to do your next podcast. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with Imposter Syndicate and everything else that you're doing? The one-stop shop for everything is mattdwilson.net. 
you can find all my links to all my stuff there. The, the link to imposter syndicate on Zoop is at the very top. Uh, there's links to all my social media accounts, but essentially everywhere I'm either the Matt D Wilson. That's what I am on Twitter or just Matt D Wilson on Mastodon. Um, and all my podcasts are there. We've talked about war rocket Ajax, uh, the link to movie fighters is also there. Uh, the very original movie podcast I do with Chris Sims. And um, there's also a link there to friends till the end, the Chucky recap podcast I do with Erica Henderson and Benito Serino. Uh, so you can find links to all that stuff at mattdwilson.net. Right on. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks guys. This has been a blast. I feel okay about my trivia. (laughs) (laughs) As you should, as you should. (laughs) That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claws sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker. A $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator-owned comic in a 60-second spot. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Kat Purcell, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Azimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, assuming Twitter still works. And until next week, remember, somewhere out there, there's a Batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner. W-N-Q-A! Walnuts, peanuts,